the three men have been great for the sport. I think she has done more for tennis than anyone in my lifetime. Just the fact that she has completely, I mean, she's had that Tiger Woods effect where she has completely changed the sport where, I mean, Coco is someone that talks about this a lot. The reason she is playing and able to achieve the the things that she has done has been because of the Williams sisters and Mm. what they've done for the game. Um, But she also like, she transcends tennis, like, fashion, everything, like, she has, it's immeasurable what she's done for the sport of tennis Yeah. in her career. Hey, what's going on, party crashers, trailblazers, and level setters? This is Jerry Jones. I am the host of Level Set, a conversation with people who know things. It's the end of August at the time we're recording, so from a sports framework, It means it's the United States Open. And we are talking all things tennis with my friend and one of my favorite family members, Sean Bolton, out of Austin, Texas. Sean is a competitive tennis player and a tennis savant, knows so much about the sport. We're going to dig into it, but we're going to, he's from Austin. Okay. So we're going to talk tennis. We're going to talk, it's a very competitive tennis scene not only in the city of Austin, but across the state of Texas. So we're going to talk a lot about tennis. Uh, What makes tennis so great? What are some of the threats to the game of tennis, i.e. pickleball, which I seem to be obsessed with of late. I've never played pickleball. And so I'm asking him some rather ignorant uh, and crazy questions. So I thank Sean for for indulging me on my questions with regards to pickleball. Uh, We're going to, we talk a lot about different paddle sports. Um, but then, of course, we are going to talk about the U.S. Open. This is Serena's last Open. At the time we are recording, she has won her first match. I believe at the time we're in, at the time I'm recording this, Serena will have been in her her second round match. But we're talking about her greatness. We're obviously going to be talking about the big three on the men's side: uh, Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer. We actually, we, we diverge into uh, a conversation around Federer's feet, but not in the way you think. But because Sean's from Austin, I have to ask him things. I have to ask him things. I have to ask him about breakfast tacos. Um, we could not have a conversation without talking about Bucky's. And somehow, some way, we get into a conversation about his obsession with pickles. You're going to love it. It's here's the thing. It is quintessential random level set conversations. You're going to learn a lot. You're probably going to laugh a lot. And um, I think you're just going to enjoy it. Oh, also, for some of you who are Game of Thrones nerds like myself, Sean is so I'm like I am the TV show Game of Thrones, uh, Game of Thrones nerd. Sean has read all of the books. And has watched every episode of Game of Thrones and is caught up to date on the new Game of Thrones show, House of the Dragon. So he and I are going to geek out a little bit about that. And we're just having fun. So I would say grab grab that bottle of wine, grab that edible, grab that beer, that NA beer. 
Um, grab that basket of laundry that you've been uh, putting off for the last couple of days and just enjoy. This is, you know, every episode is just fun because I'm talking to really, really wickedly talented, wicked smart people about things that matter to them. And then, of course, they indulge me by talking about things that are just completely ridiculous. It's a fun conversation level set. This conversation, a conversation with Sean Bolton. I do need to note before I give you the spiel about rating and reviewing, there is a a maybe a 10 to 15 second window where there's a little bit of a glitch, but it's so far into the conversation that if you've listened that far, I don't imagine you're going to stop listening then. Just wanted to let you know it's there. So it's not your phone, not your device. It was my splotchy, splotchy internet. But with that, Please rate, review, subscribe, and share this episode. Um, you're going to be glad you did. It's Level Set, a conversation with Sean Bolton. Enjoy, and I will catch you on the flip side. Peace. I mean, that what you were just saying about the impact. I'm very, I'm, I'm fascinated by pickleball. Yeah. Um, but what it is doing to tennis tennis play just or an even accessibility to tennis like what does it do i mean it sounds like it's having an impact in austin for sure definitely um so we have uh, a number of places where they're taking you know their four tennis courts and they can turn that into eight pickleball courts um i mean the game the game of pickleball is growing you you can't deny that um i mean it's fun getting on there and slapping those wiffle balls around. Um, but as someone who grew up playing tennis and predominantly plays tennis, uh, it definitely takes away the opportunities that we have of playing. Uh, we can't find the courts anymore um, just because we have such a limited amount. Uh, and if those go away or I go to a public park that has two courts and people are playing pickleball on them, well, I'm not going to sit around and wait for a tennis court to open up, even though 75% of that court isn't being used. Um, What's just... that like? What's that like for you to show up as, as an, as a, a very avid and successful tennis player to show up to play tennis and to see pickleball being played on a tennis court? Um, I mean, it's better than, you know, not seeing anything being done on that tennis court or that tennis court becoming overgrown with weeds and not resurfaced mm -hmm. and cracks all over it. Um, so, I mean, anything that, anything that grows racket sports in general or paddle sports in general, I think is a good thing. Um, there's going to be some crossover, um, but it can be frustrating when I want a court and I can't find one. So you just introduced, I don't know, I mean, so, you know, saying before we got on that, I don't, I don't know anything about tennis and I've never played pickleball, but you just introduced a term that I am not familiar with, which is paddle sports. So there's tennis is obviously a paddle sport, but um, it, let me ask you this is, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Is pickleball a sport? Yes. Um, I mean, I see it as a sport. I, when, when I watch high level pickleball players, like 
the movement, the hand-eye coordination, like it's all there. It's almost, I mean, when they get up towards the net and they're slapping that thing back and forth, like I think their hand-eye coordination is probably better than a lot of tennis players. Mm. And that, that's coming from, like I said, a, like you said, a successful tennis player. Um, your words, not mine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All I see are trophies. Whenever, whenever I see you on after a tournament uh, on Instagram, all I see are trophies. I'm like, this dude just keeps winning. What? What is? The deal? I've been on a hot streak recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, What's yeah? Paddle sports, um, pickleball. There's another one that's just called paddle tennis. That is this like we like it, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. It's kind of a mixture of tennis pickleball and racquetball it's played in like this glass like glassed in tennis court um the ball's bouncy and you can basically hit this thing anywhere and uh Ooh. i highly recommend youtubing it and just watching some paddle tennis like wow it's wild, it's wild to watch paddle tennis um and so you'd mentioned something about pickleball so it's not it's not a tennis ball what makes the What's what is a pickle ball? Like what what is it? I don't even know what it what it it's, is. It's a wiffle ball. It's okay. just like you would play wiffle ball with baseball. Oh. Like that's what it is. And then it's almost like a big your paddle is almost like a big ping pong paddle, but it's mm -hmm. plastic instead of wood. Oh. So it's a so is is pickleball is part of is part of the allure. And I swear I didn't get you on just to talk about pickleball because we're going to talk about here. I will just I'm just going to go on the record right now. So now that I'm hearing a tennis player acknowledge pickleball as a sport, I am now flip flopping on my position because I my I contended that pickleball was not a sport that if if so here in Kansas City, there's a place called Chicken and Pickle. And I think they're national mm -hmm. that. If the draw is fried chicken and beer and this pickleball, then I'm like, then that means that pickleball is not really a sport. Because if that. Yeah. My counter to that is there is a large um, team tennis tournament in Louisiana in the spring every year called the Crawfish Classic that is Ooh. a tennis tournament, but also based around a crawfish boil. So if we oh, can wow. have. If we can if we can have a crawfish boil with our tennis, the the pickleball players can have some fried chicken. See, I love that. See, Sean, part of what I was hoping, and you're not helping me here. Part of what I was hoping to do was to just to drive a wedge between <laughs> tennis players and and pickleball players. And now apparently I was, and then you know paddle tennis players. But what you're telling me is like, hey, it's a sport and it's legit. So you're not helping me here. Well, I, I, <laughs> I still think uh, I would I would argue, and this might get some hate in the comments, but a seasoned tennis player could go onto a pickleball court and immediately be good. Oh, see this. See this is the hot take. See now, now we're throwing a little bit of hot sauce. See it so, took you so mentioning. Louisiana that start you're throwing some heat you're throwing some some heaters I, I gotta jump, I'm gonna jump in with the hot takes um I, 
a lot of this is driven by, so uh, I get Tennis Magazine. Um, you know, it comes out every couple months. Yeah. And a couple issues back, um, I'm usually pretty excited when I get Tennis Magazine. There was one yeah. page of tennis in the entire magazine. The rest of it was all pickleball. Um, and one of the articles in there talked about basically they co- they were calling him the you know Roger Federer of pickleball, Ooh. but he had only been playing for like a year before he went pro, and now he's the most dominant pickleball player ever because he grew up playing tennis. And so ah. I will stand by my comment that a seasoned tennis player will walk onto a pickleball court and dominate. So. There's a couple things. First of all, as someone, you know, you 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 look forward to getting Tennis Magazine, right? Mm-hmm. You are a successful tennis player. You get the magazine, and it's all about pickleball. Like, what? Well, I mean, like, is it, ta- it is it taking over? Like, is pickleball taking over? I don't want to say it's taking over, but I think the it is a much more accessible sport than tennis is. Mm. Um, what? What? Why so? What makes it? What makes it more accessible? So you never have to get your like I have to get my rackets restrung one to two times a month. Mm. Um, every time you play, you open up a new can of balls. Um, you can just fit more. So if they took my eight court, uh, tennis facility and turned into pickleball, that doubles the amount of courts that you can have. Um, so yeah, I think just the barriers of, I don't, I don't know how much pickleball paddles are. Um, tennis rackets now are $260 a piece. If you're playing a high level, you, have usually at least two to three of your rackets, plus getting them strung every time you, every, you know, maybe two times a month. It, mm. it just it adds up really quickly. So this, you just, you just shared something that I didn't know. And I would imagine that a lot of people didn't know. I didn't realize that. And I guess it makes sense because I would imagine at every baseball game, they're using, new baseballs i didn't realize that whenever you're playing you know um a new match you're using new balls mm-hmm. yeah i didn't I, so like how many balls like in a tournament like how many how many balls do you feel like you're going through Ooh. um i mean if i play so say we have around around of 64 draw mm-hmm. um that means there's 65 matches in that draw, I believe is correct. Mm-hmm. So that's six, that's three cases of balls right there for just that wow. draw. And then wow. combine that by all the other draws. Um, Cause every level has their different draws. Like they go through a tournament will go through a lot of balls. Um, and normally, mm-hmm. you know, since we're only using those for those matches, like, whatever club we'll at, we're at, we'll get the balls for, you know, their junior clinics or okay. clinics afterwards. So those balls are getting used more, but as far as like our specific matches, like you open a new can every time you play a match. Are you concerned about 
so I'm thinking about from a public work standpoint, if I am with the city of Austin and their public works mm-hmm. department, and I am thinking like I'm seeing these courts being used more for pickleball. And I know that I can fit, I can double the amount of usable space. Are you and other, are, are, is, is there any conversation in the, in your tennis community around how to preserve courts for, for tennis? Because if I'm a public works, if I'm looking at the budget, I'm, I'm thinking, man, I might just turn these into pickleball courts. I think just based, so the city runs, we have four tennis centers. One of them is down for complete renovations right now. Um, One of them does have pickleball courts there Mm -hmm. and definitely has more pickleball. Like if you go there to play, the parking lot will look jam packed. You're like, oh man, like, all these courts must be full. Generally, all of the pickleball courts are full and the tennis courts are empty. Huh. Um, it trends that way. I could see the city being like, well, we should put more pickleball courts in. Um, my hope would be that they would just keep it to that one specific mm-hmm. tennis center because the other two that are open right now, like they're jam-packed with tennis players all the time. Um, so I don't see the city turning those into pickleball courts but that third facility i definitely could um the one they're renovating right now i don't know i'll i guess we'll see what they do i could see them adding some pickleball courts um or just keeping them all tennis so you're kind of you kind of blowing my mind because as you were talking about a like a tennis center like not that i'm aware of i mean there's obviously lots of country clubs here in in kansas city where I am, but like, we don't have, we don't have tennis centers. And so to hear that there are multiple tennis centers, one of which is being renovated. I'm like, so, so Austin is a tennis, is it a tennis town? Would you, I mean, would you classify Austin as a tennis town? I would classify, there is a large tennis community and really Texas as a whole, like, Hmm. um, Austin has a lot like our spring tennis league for my team this last year, we had 24 teams in it. Um, and you know, each team has 15, 16 guys. Um, so we, we were split into four divisions of six teams. Wow. So it's definitely the adult tennis down here. I mean, and the junior tennis is, is pretty large. And the the four tennis centers are just the runs that are run by the city. Like we have country clubs, tons of country clubs as well, where mm-hmm. they have their own tennis teams as well. So I want to get I want to get to to the tennis leagues in a minute because that just sounds fascinating to me. But Sean, I I'm really interested on when when did you first fall in love with tennis. So I, let's see, I first picked up rackets eighth grade. Um, but my freshman year, I played JV tennis. Um, and my JV coach at the time, um, who was also one of my teachers, like he, he pulled me aside at practice one day and he said, we're going to make you a state champion. 
And that was when it was like, whoa, like this is like, no one's ever talked to me like that before as a coach, as a mentor. Um, And just like throughout the years, I've just found really amazing coaches and mentors that um, have guided me along the way. So really like it was from that moment, I was just hooked on it, Um, dropped all the, any other sports that I was playing or thinking about and solely focused on tennis. What was that like for you to hear that? Like to hear someone just pull you aside and say, you know, you could be a champion. We're going to, we're going to make you a champion. What was that like to hear that? That was, that's like the biggest adrenaline kick when someone like thinks that highly of you. Um, I did not win a state championship. I won a regional championship in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, But just the fact that someone had that much confidence and like senior ability for such a short time, um, like I had never felt that way before. Like it was, mm. it was like nothing. Wow. When you, so you, you won a regional championship. Mm-hmm. Um, and not winning the state. Did you, was there disappointment? Was there like, how did you like, how did that kind of spur you? So the only, the only disappointment in it was, um, the way that high school tennis, I think it still works the same, but worked, um, then was only the number one singles player could go to States individually. Any Mm. other flight had to qualify because the whole team went. Um, and since I played doubles, we were not allowed to go individually. So my doubles partner and I, my senior year had a we went 17 and one. The only team we had lost to, we beat two weeks later. Um, like it was just disappointing that we didn't get to go and play with the other best teams in the state. But um, it's just where were those... you? You were in Michigan? Yeah. What yep. part of what part of so wait, it's like the hand? Like what part of the hand? <laughs> uh, we were, I was like 15 minutes south of Detroit. Okay. Okay. So. Wow. You, you're from Detroit and not to veer too far off. You're Mm -hmm. from Detroit, but, uh, you're a Packers fan. Yes. Uh, (laughs) How was that? What was, I mean, were you shunned? Were you shunned by, by your, your, your fellow, uh, Detroit, Detroit folks for that? No. Um, so, Born born in Detroit, finished out um, middle school and high school in Detroit in the Detroit area. But um, most of my childhood, I was in Wisconsin. Um, so that's kind of where that love of the Packers came because just it's Wisconsin. Everybody loves the Packers. Like yeah. there was, uh, I like remember growing up. There was one kid in my class that was a Cowboys fan. And obviously it's the mid nineties. It's the Cowboys and Packers, mm-hmm. pretty much Cowboys, Packers, 49ers. Yeah. Every year. yeah. Um, I remember that kid putting his, uh, putting on his starter jacket and going to recess and just like swinging alone while all the other kids played in their Packers starter jackets. Like, <laughs> like that kid was, that kid was the prior for wearing, for wearing that Cowboys jacket. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Went back to went back to Michigan and 
I mean, I wasn't shunned by any of my friends because I think it was more just like, we have to root for the Lions. So, sorry. I mean, I, as an aside, are you are have you watched any of the Hard Knocks? I have not watched any of it yet. I have seen the quotes and <laughs> I really want Dan Campbell to succeed. Maybe not, you know, beat everyone except the Packers and Packers winning the playoffs, but... Oh man, just as a soundbite, that guy is gold. He he is amazing. Like I think it was the first episode, and he's like, "I don't care if you only have three toes and one butt cheek, I will kick your ass." Yeah, like, that guy will make that guy will make any fan run through a wall. I I seriously I look I am not a I'm not a big fan of of the Lions. But after Hard Knocks, I I think they may be my second team now. I think I'm just I'm I'm gonna root for them because I I I know now that every time they make some sort of mistake, they a turnover or they drop a pass in the end zone, I know that what whatever if it happens before halftime or at the you know if if it's that speech at the end of the game, the key is just gonna be dropping dimes. I need to. I need to now start following Detroit Lions beat writers just so I can try to glean some of that magic because yeah. it's just, oh, thoughts on Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is on a different, uh, he's experiencing life in a whole new way, man. Oh, it's, that's my quarterback. I, I mean, I can't, I can't speak, no, no ill will, but just. He's he's on a different he's literally on a different planet right now. Um, just with you know his ayahuasca journey and his yeah. now apparently coming out of the Joe Rogan podcast. Um, I'm not going to drop any craziness like uh, Aaron Rodgers has been lately. And you know I was talking to one of my um, one of my buddies, and we 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 got on the subject of Aaron Rodgers the other day, and he's like, "But I think Aaron, I think Aaron Rodgers is onto something." I'm like, "Wait a minute, hold on, you are now, like, but and maybe he is, maybe this psychedelic journey that he's on, like, who? I can't wait for week one because <laughs> I'm looking for passes now that I'm going to be like, oh, that's oh. the that's the new whatever he's on right that's the now. Slogan right there. I, I wonder how many, how many, how many quarterback coaches and or coaches in 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 college are going to be like, you know, maybe we need to we need to examine our uh, the NCAA <laughs> drug mm-hmm. policy to see if we can get guys on whatever Aaron Rodgers is on. Maybe uh, no one really knows where Tom Brady went for those couple weeks. Maybe he decided to go <laughs> do his own Burning Man. Um, <laughs> Have you heard the rumors? Like, I feel like there were so many rumors on Tom Brady and like kind of where he was. The only the only ones I've heard, uh, one that he was getting plastic surgery done, and mm. then the other one was that he was on the mask singer. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think that one is too far off. I mean, he signed that big contract with yeah. Fox, and uh I could totally see Fox saying, Hey. Tom, it's preseason. We need you to do this thing. And when they pay, aren't they paying him like thirty-seven million? 
it's it's something absolutely just ridiculous it's it's insane but i i don't know sean i feel like um tom brady like in his press conference the other day and he's just like look man i'm 45 he doesn't need preseason <laughs> like i think he wants to quit my personal take is i think he wants to quit um but he can't now like he doesn't have any interior linemen left yeah uh he's 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 gonna he's gonna get crushed um but i'm so i'm sorry for derailing because i'm i'm very interested in tennis as a team sport which is something that i guess i had never considered mm-hmm. um and also i w- i'm also curious so you you mentioned that in high school you played singles and doubles in the league that you're in now, do you also play singles and doubles? Mostly doubles. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a couple really good singles players, so we usually keep them in the lineup. Um, and then I've got a couple partners that I rotate with in doubles. So how does how does a team how does team tennis work? Because I I know that there's the Davis Cup, but I'm I am so I don't understand. I don't understand tennis as a team sport. How does that work? So one of our matches will generally consist of two singles matches and three doubles matches. Mm -hmm. Um, So whichever team wins the most out of those five. So, Um, but then there comes like gamesmanship among captains on like, you can sometimes stack the lineup to, um, so a lot of times you'll put your weakest, not saying we do it, not saying it's like <laughs> a thing that all teams do, but yeah. some teams will kind of put their, uh, sacrifice their one doubles line. Cause they're going to bet that the other team will play their best doubles team at one. Um, mm. so they'll put their third best team at one. So then they oh. can hopefully win two and three doubles and then hopefully Ooh. win one of the singles matches. Ooh, yeah, that so almost I'm- sounds like some FIFA, you know, kind of <laughs> world cup pool play kind of like, ah, you know, maybe we don't uh, put, you know, our starting you know, team out on the, on the pitch today. We will wait for, you know, yeah. the next matchup. Um, so are there, are the so in your in your league, are there there different levels? Like of uh, is there is it kind of is it like the Premier League or there's like the you know Premier League, Championship League, and so on and so forth? Is that is that kind of how it works? To an extent, but it's more instead of like if our team wins the league, we don't bump bump to the next highest league. Um, mm. But if we have a player that is just dominating everyone that individual player will get bumped up. Um, and those, those rankings changes happen in December of every year. Um, Mm. so the way USTA does it, it is, is it's all on like a scale, um, that goes from 2.5 up to basically 5.0. Anything above that, it's like you play basically college tennis or, above yeah yeah um so i'm at a 4.0 level um 
like borderline 4.0, 4.5. Mm. Um, so if I was to get bumped up, I'd have to find a whole new team to play on. Ooh. How, how long have you been with the team that you're with? Um, how do you I, get on? The core group of my team has been together probably since like 2016, 2017. Um, oh, wow. so we've been together for a while. And when our team started, um, we were a brand new team and um, we took it on the chin for a couple seasons because um, a lot of a lot of our players had like just gotten bumped up from the next level down. Mm-hmm. Um, similar, like you had mentioned, like when a team gets promoted from, you know, first league to premier league, that first year might be a little rough, especially going against all the big dogs. Um, yeah. That was kind of what we were, but as players level up or age up into, you know, instead of playing an 18 and up league, players will start playing 40 and up league. Um, Some of the better teams get worse. We got a lot better. Mm. Uh, So for the past, we we tend to win the league more than we lose it. I'm just lucky enough to play on a really good team that consistently contends for league titles. So, mm. what would you say? So, I would just so as as someone who who only really watches like the majors, mm-hmm. I I'm always struck by just the velocity and the accuracy of you know, serves and returns or like, what's that like? Like when you, like when you ace someone, like what, what's, what does that feel like? Um, is there, a, because I'm like, I just, I'm like, how do they hit a ball that fast and that accurate? I don't like, what is that like to be able to, to actually know what you're doing with the racket and the ball and, and to, to place the ball where you, where you need it to go. Uh, I mean, when, so just, I mean, just like everything, any, any sport, you kind of get in that zone when you're in that like flow state. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are times where if I'm not in that flow state and, you know, I hit a big ACE, like it pumps me up. Um, mm-hmm. But if I'm, in that flow state and it becomes that second nature. Um, I get to the point where I feel like anything that I try to do, I'm going to do. Um, Mm -hmm. Then it's almost, it's almost like it's just, yeah, it's second nature. Like I don't even think about it. It just happens. Then it it more so gets into, I had an experience in the last tournament. Um, I hit an ace out wide. Um, and the the person called it out. He was like, yeah, it was out. Um, I knew it hit the line. My partner knew it hit the line. He was just, I don't know if he was mad. They were losing. Yeah. He called it out. Um, that's when it riles me up. Because uh, I'm like, oh, you took that one away from me. And so, um, you know, I keep my cool. But then on the next one, I'm going to go bigger and harder, usually to the same place. Because I'm like, you took that one away from me out wide the time before I'm going to do it again, just to prove that I can. Ooh. Is there a lot of trash talking? Um, generally not like it is for the most part, like, you know, it's kind of a gentleman's game. There's not that Mm -hmm. much trash talk. Um, 
which makes it uh, like someone like Nick Kyrgios, like oh yeah, it just makes it that much better to watch him that he can do he can ruffle your feathers that way, but then get under your skin with how well he can play when he is like okay, I'm gonna just I'm gonna I'm gonna play. Um, so there are definitely some times when there are trash talking. Um, I, I hit someone with a ball, uh, <laughs> a couple weeks ago in a, in, in a tournament and, um, the person was like, Oh, I'll, I'll remember that. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, bud, like, you're not going to do anything about it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's definitely some trash talking, um, it's weird. Like you, it, it's always at my level, it's always the guys you don't think are going to trash talk. Like a lot of times it's like an older guy, like in his like fifties or mm. like, whoa, yeah. was not expecting this. Um, but here we are. <laughs> I mean, so how do you, so I'm curious about Sean, like how, what your process is to prepare for a match and then how, is there is there any method that you have to get into your flow state or or if you've gotten out of your flow state how do you how do you get back in how do you lock back in yeah um i mean for the normal weekend if i just have a league match um usually i will wake up that morning and it's already on my mind thinking about mm -hmm. it um yeah and then usually you know drive to the courts you know i'll have some sort of music um that i'm listening to whatever like in my mind that's what i need to listen to at that point mm -hmm. um but then i'm also go already going through points in my head of like what i want to do to execute the game plan that i have in my head to play the match that I want to play on my terms. Because, mm. um, I mean, in, in any tennis match, you can only control what goes on on your side of the court. Ultimately, right. I can't control what the other person's going to do. Um, so I have that game plan in my head of what I want to do, but you can't always do that. It's, I have, it's a lot of thinking on the fly. Um, but, yeah, for a league match, that's what it is. It's a totally different story for a tournament because sometimes you're playing – two, three, four matches in one day. Um, so it's it's just a lot of like, you have to be on that entire weekend or else you are going to lose. Um, so yeah, the, the, the full weekend tennis tournaments, it's a lot harder usually that preparation. Like I start thinking about it. Um, usually the draws for those tournaments come out the, the week before. And yeah. I start looking at all potential matchups that I could have, um, people they've played that I've played, just thinking about and sizing those those matches up way ahead of time. Mm. Almost to a point where I overthink it a lot, and then I get to the match, and I've completely in my mind already made up what kind of tennis player this person is. Yeah, and that has definitely bit me in the butt before, where. I think I know what this person's going to play like, and then it's completely different. It derails everything I've thought about for an entire week going into it. Is there scouting? Like, do you, is there, are there scouting reports 
available on, on, on players on different teams? To an extent from like, we, we see a lot of the same guys at every tournament. Um, if I haven't played them, like chances are I have a friend or a teammate that plays a lot of tournaments that has, um, so you definitely text around and get those scouting reports. Um, if your match finishes early, you'll go watch like your potential opponents play, you know, point out what their weaknesses are, what their strengths are, start coming up that game plan. Um, so that definitely, that definitely is a key and happens a lot at tournaments. Um, league play, usually you get to play the same teams a couple times in a season. So you generally know who's on what team. Um, if the team's been together for a while, you, you generally know what kind of lineups they're going to throw at you based on what they've played in the past. Yeah. Do you use, so when you play, are you using the same racket for each so I guess what I'm asking is like, depending on, do you change your racket depending on the type of game or match you want to play depending on your opponent? Is it, I mean, just like in golf, you change clubs, you change rackets? No, I, I generally, like I have three of the same racket. Um, mm -hmm. I generally get them strung with the same string. Um, I might vary the tension based on, like time of the year, um, things like that. But generally it's always going to be the same setup. And that's just out of, a lot of it's just out of what I'm used to. Some of it's mm. probably superstition. Um, like I got my racket strung recently and they didn't have the string that I usually use. And so mm. for like a couple times playing, I was like, oh, it's definitely not that I haven't played in like a week and a half. It's definitely the string, not the rest. Yeah. Um, then after a while, I was like, no, no, it definitely was the rest, but I still want to go back and get my rackets restrung to the string that I'm used to. Um, but yeah, do, you, really do you go to the same place um, to get your strings uh, restrung? Usually, yeah. There's, um, I get it done at the place where I play most of my tennis. Um, it's the same guy that usually, yeah. same guy strings it every time. He's really consistent really solid. So um, a bunch of players on our team go and it's just the, the tennis center that we play at. So I'd be curious, Sean, to know what makes a great racket for you? Like how do you size, like when you chose your rackets, like what are you looking for? So when I chose um, my rackets, I had been playing with the same rackets previous to this um, since 2005, 2000, mm -hmm. 2004, 2005. Um, and it was a really, really old um, Wilson, about 12 and a half ounces, which in the, it doesn't seem like a lot, like, oh, it's under a pound, but 12 and a half ounces is really heavy for a tennis racket. Um, oh. And I was just like, oh man, like my arm is just always feeling tired. Like, so I wanted to go to something that was a little lighter, but still didn't feel like I was holding nothing, um, right. but then also gave that extra pop of power. Um, mm -hmm. And so I switched from those Wilson rackets to a Babolat racket, um, mm. which it was 
the same type that Andy Roddick used when he played. Um, And I had hit with a few different rackets. Like I, you can just go and you can demo them um, and just see which ones you like. So I went through a few, few Babolats before I landed on that one. Yeah. I'm curious to know from the time that you, you started playing on this circuit until now, like what would you say, what has evolved the most in your game since over these past few years? Knowing my body. Mm. Um, I mean, it's, it's something that I definitely took, uh, took for granted when I was in my twenties where you can just wake up and go play and not have to worry about anything off the tennis court that, mm-hmm. you know, now in my mid thirties, like I think about what I'm putting in my body. Um, if I have a warm up that starts at three 30, I'll usually get to the tennis court around three and, you know, do a 20 minute band warm up to get my arms and shoulders ready to play. Um, and yeah, really just being more mindful. Like I've done a lot of physical therapy. Mm-hmm. I was dealing with some, some shoulder issues, which as a tennis player is not good to deal with. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I got um, some amazing dry needling done to oh. get blood flow back to the shoulders and not have to deal with chronic pain. Um, so that coupled with band exercises and some strengthening um, helped out my shoulder a lot. Um, but yeah, really just like being more mindful that like I need to keep this working more than just going and playing tennis yeah. Just playing tennis, like that doesn't cut it anymore. Um, I need to do that extra stuff on top of it. Is there a part of your game without giving your competition the inside scoop, not trying to give them a scouting report? Yeah. Um, what part of your game do you feel like if you tweaked this or improved this, it could take you to a different level? I think a lot of it is probably I would say my net play Um, Mm. it's crazy because like growing up um, I solely served and volleyed um, probably from about 2003 till 2008 like that was like my bread and butter like Big serve, followed in, put a volley away. Um, just as I got older and people could more easily return serve, uh, like I stopped doing that and it was more of like an all court game. Um, but now focusing more on doubles, like that net play has got to get back to where it was um, to get to that next level. Like I still have big serve, it's still my bread and butter. Um, but it's the, the net play needs to get back to where it once was. So having the shoulder injury, um, how, like how much, how much of that game of your game was affected and how much of it do you feel like you've been able to get back now that your shoulders kind of on the mend? 
let's see, the the first time I was dealing with the shoulder injury was like spring 2019. Um, and I took four months off and did like pretty standard physical therapy and like it did okay. Um, it was like pretty good through 2020. Um, still felt it in my shoulder, but it was more manageable. Um, and then this, so February of this year um, was not seeing, like I had a really good 2020 in tennis um, made it to Texas masters, uh, which is like a big year end event. Um, had kind of a disappointing 2021. Like I was like, Oh, like 2021 is going to be the year. Um, mm -hmm. it wasn't had a lot of like early exit at exits at tournaments. Um, it happened again in February of 2022. I was playing at a tournament in San Antonio, lost in the first round of singles, lost in the first round of doubles. Um, my shoulder was just throbbing. Um, M had gone to a physical therapist um, slash dry needle expert that she just loved. She was also dealing with some shoulder issues. Mm -hmm. She was like, you should go see my physical therapist. Um, so I made an appointment that day, like at the tennis tournament, um, was like, hey, need to get in next week. Um, got some dry needling done. It was great. Um, took it slow getting back in. Um, and so the June tournament, so three months, three, four months after I had started the dry needling and physical therapy was the first tournament I played back. I won that tournament and like mm. something had just clicked and I was like, oh, like this is this is how I should be playing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Then played this last tournament, won it again, and I'm feeling a lot better. Like now I know like I can do this. Like I feel like yeah. my, my game is back. Um, yeah. And now I'm just hoping to continue that and strengthen it more. So I'm curious. So I, I don't know. I'm in my mind. I, you know, as you were talking about, how you will take your rackets in to get them restrung and in the conversation around flow state, I'm very interested in what your mindset was as you were kind of having the struggles in play because of your shoulder. Like what was that like mentally for you? And because it seemed like once you knew that your shoulder was right, that your game corrected. So I'm interested in the, in the dynamic of the, the physical and the mental component, like what was that like going through that change when you were trying to figure out how to get your kind of get your game back on track? Yeah. I mean, that one's, that one's really tough knowing the level you can play at and should be at, but like physically your body just like, isn't responding. Um, the yeah. easiest way to explain like the way my arm was feeling was like, it was almost like lifting. It was like, lifting my tennis racket was trying to lift like a cast iron pan. Like Ooh. I know, I know it's 11 and a half ounces mm -hmm. and my, my mind knows what to do and my body's trying to do it, but it just feels like dead. Um, mm. So like, that was just like, wow, really defeating to know that like you should be able to walk on a tennis court and just like pound these serves and yeah, 
your your brain is firing to do that, but your body won't do it. Yeah. Um, and so it was really hard at first. And so like doing the dry needling, like taking it super easy for a couple months, even though like I was feeling good. And I was like, I could probably serve right now. Um, but knowing that like my body needed time to strengthen that, um, it was definitely hard, but then like easing back into it. And I, I worked with my physical therapist and, you know, she basically was like, go 50% today. Ne next time you play, go 50%. And then we'd meet back up and she'd ask how I felt. And I was like, it felt good. She was like, okay, go 75% next time. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it was like, eventually she was like, go all out and had a match where I went all out and didn't feel anything and came back and got the dry needling. And I was like, yeah, I didn't feel anything. She's like, okay, go play a tournament now and see how it feels. Um, and so it was, de it's definitely been a journey and a process that has been hard. And now it's hopefully just preventative maintenance to make sure that yeah. I can stay competing at the level that I'm at. Is there, I'm kind of curious, like thinking about, um, cause was it Rafa in the, in, uh, at, at Wimbledon had to, uh, to scratch. I, I'm really curious as being a, a tennis player, um, like how, how do you relate to these players at the highest level when they, when you know they're playing through injury and, so, and in some cases, it's so bad they have to scratch. What's it like for you watching them? Because I would imagine you watching the game is a lot different than how I'm going to watch it. it, it yes, it, it will 100. <laughs> I am watching probably different things than mm. most people watch. Um, a lot of times when I'm watching pros, I watch their footwork. Mm. Um, that their footwork is just, I mean, that's what sets them apart from yeah. the, the people at the top, their footwork sets them apart from the guys that are trying to scratch and claw to get to that level. Um, it's just, they, it, it looks like they know five steps ahead where everything's going to go. Um, like it's kind of why when you watch Roger Federer play, he never looks like he's sweating and it looks like he's just, floating above a tennis court mm. um, footwork is just out of this world um so yeah i definitely watch i watch weird things when i play yeah. just as, as a high level tennis player um but yeah the fact that he was getting inject like the fact that rafa was getting injections to like numb the pain to be able to get through the tournament just shows like he really is a bull that he's just absolutely relentless. He always has mm -hmm. been. Um, as someone that grew, that spent a lot of my years as a Federer fan, I definitely took for granted having, you know, the three, arguably the three greatest tennis players of all time at the same time um, yeah. with, with Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer. Yeah. Um, and I don't think we will ever see anything like this again. Um, well, I, I was going to ask you, what what makes this moment in tennis so special? And, and particularly those, those three players, 
Like, what is it about them that sets them apart from even the greats that, even recent greats that had come come before them? I think the fact that they had each other, like they always had that person to push them. Um, like, yeah, I think if you take any one of them out, the other two probably keep winning an ungodly amount of majors. Um, yeah. Especially, I think, if you take Nadal out, I mean, how many French Opens does Federer yeah. win? Um, <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. But they just, you, having that amount of rivalry, like, usually every, every great player's had their one rival, to have two to constantly make you better and make you change and evolve um, has been crazy to watch. And then also I just think the sport has changed where, I mean, even as a kid, you know, players were retiring once they hit 30 and now, yeah. you know, Rafa's in his mid thirties, still dominating Djokovic, still dominating I mean, I don't think it's crazy for Federer to come back at 40, 41 next year and possibly win a major. Like, that's wild. But, like, if there's one person that would probably do it, it would be him. Um, yeah. And then on the women's game, like, a lot of the former grades didn't even make it out of their 20s. And Serena's been dominating for longer than that. Yeah. It's just like... The, the game is evolving and with the technology, the players are able to play longer and better for a longer amount of time. So it's been, it's been wild to see. Um, I hope the next generation takes the torch and runs with it. Um, we'll see. They haven't really had a chance to shine because these three guys have been winning tournament after tournament. Um, I saw a stat. The So this U S open is, the first major championship in 19 years where Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, or Andy Murray is not the number one seed. Oh, wow. Who's the one? Who's the one in this year's tournament? Uh, Medvedev. Okay. And, and Djokovic, he's not, is he's not playing because of the COVID restrictions, because right? Of, yeah. He's, he's not playing because of COVID restrictions. Um, yeah, so it's kind of, I think, both sides kind of wide open. Um, don't know. I think Medvedev is probably the favorite on the men's side. Um, I have no idea who would even be tapped as the women's favorite. <laughs> it's just completely wow. wide open. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, like, this This open um, is special in – in some respects, I think in many respects, because it's going to be Serena's last. Um, yeah. What? I don't, I mean, I don't even want to talk about her prospects for, for this, uh, for this open. Cause I, I don't know if that even matters, but what has she meant to the game? Oh, she. I think so. So the men have, the three men have been great for the sport. I think she has done more for tennis than anyone in my lifetime. Just oh, wow. the fact that she has completely 
I mean, she's had that Tiger Woods effect where she has completely changed the sport where, I mean, Coco is someone that talks about this a lot. The reason she is playing and able to achieve the the things that she has done has been because of the Williams sisters and mm. what they've done for the game. Um, but she also, like, she transcends tennis, like, fashion, everything, like, she has, it's immeasurable what she's done for the sport of tennis. Yeah. In her career. I mean, because I, I just remember when Venus came on the scene and I was like, oh my gosh, no one's going to ever be able to beat Venus. Venus is like the greatest. And then <laughs> here comes little sis. And just ran right by her. Um, I mean, because which is so amazing to think about because you if you just looked at Venus's career, mm -hmm. that's a hall that's a hall of fame, yeah, career. And and then you look at Serena and it's just like, oh my gosh, I think I saw something that ESPN had posted on on Instagram and I can't remember. It may have been 15 years, may have been 20 years. Um, from when she date wore her first cat suit, and I'm like, it's been oh. that long. That's wild. She's been in the game that long. Yeah, that's just. I mean, yeah, just it's it's gotten to the point. And over the past few years, I mean, and I'd say the last couple. I, I don't know if if we're still on that countdown for her to get her. She's would be going on what 24. This would yeah, she's going for 24. And I, you know, it would be amazing. I would love to see some sort of a magical, you know, kind of Andre Agassi kind of run or something yeah, like that, or a Jimmy Connors run. Storybook run. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm just so, I think about what she has contributed to, like you said, not only the game, but just not even pop culture, but just, I, I, feel like she has been kind of a kind of an overarching theme that's kind of like I, I just think about like during her time all the different things that have transpired um in this country you know good bad and indifferent and one constant has been Serena mm -hmm. like um and certainly a lightning rod for media, like, um, it was as almost as when, when Michelle Obama came on the scene, I almost felt like for Serena, like, oh, finally there's someone else. There's another strong black woman who can take some of the heat off of Serena, which is kind of a weird way to kind of look at that. But I, I do feel like that Serena has opened the doors for just so many women in in sport um non-sport um i'm looking forward to to celebrating this i don't know magnificent career and now she's just gonna i think continue to dominate in whatever she decides to do next she's got no short like you said fashion i i mean she's got no shortage of things yeah um when yeah. you get to the point where you're one name, when you're a one-namer. Yeah. 
Is there, so you'd mentioned Federer growing up as a Federer fan. Is there someone or multiple someones that you've patterned parts of your game after? I don't like to do that. Um, mm. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Watching Federer, it was hard to not tr want to try and play like that um, yeah. as a kid. Um, but I mean, even before that, because I mean, I started playing before Federer got huge. Um, Pete Sampras, like yeah. his service motion is, I mean, one of the best of all time. Um, and that's definitely something that I've always tried, tried to replicate in my own way. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of it's just uh, you find what you can because like Federer has his, you know, beautiful one handed backhand. Like I would never try to do that. Like that's not something I ever had. In my <laughs> game. Like, I hit my two handed backhand and I'm fine with that. Um, it's more like I was definitely a hothead as a kid and teenager and into my early 20s. So it was more trying to replicate the not stoicism i wouldn't say that federer has um but i don't want opponents to see me reacting mm. on court in my body language so it was more trying to replicate that body language than like physical strokes when you see when you notice something in an opponent's body language how do you take advantage of that because i i've always wondered like what do you see you're you're watching your opponent and you if you notice something in their body mm -hmm. language how do you how do you exploit that depends on the body language um if if i hit a ball to the backhand and they hit into the net and like shrug or do something it's like oh i'm gonna keep hitting to that backhand until you make me change and hit it to the forehand um mm. If I can tell you're tired, it's it's drop shot city. Like I'm gonna make yeah. I will make you run all <laughs> over the court until you physically want to give up. Um, so yeah, body language definitely. If I see your body language, I'm gonna I'm gonna go after whatever that body language is telling me to do. I love just hearing like all of a sudden I had this image of you being like. Um, as even as a tennis player, as a as a football coach, just like when his team is tired, he's like, "Oh, more more gassers, more like mm -hmm. more more more," until you you break the. Are you trying to break your opponent when you're yes. out there? Every oh, time we court, that is that is the goal. I want to I want to break you. Oh, in my I now. Now I'm imagining Ivan Drago. I, mean, I will break you. Yeah. I mean, every time I walk on court, I feel like I'm going to win the match. And until you make me, until you break me and make me feel otherwise, I will always think that. Where does that come from? Where does that confidence, where does that assurance come from? I mean, it's just, if, if you go out there and you don't think you're going to win, you shouldn't be out there. Like, mm, yeah, it's as simple as that. I feel like it's that way in any sport. Um, 
I'm good enough at my sport where I feel like anytime I walk on court, I should win the match. Um, inside the match, nothing drives me crazier playing tennis than if my opponent breaks my serve. If I lose a serve, nothing drives me crazier than losing a service mm. game. Ooh. Like, I I get so mad when I get broken. Um because I feel like my serve should never get broken. Like that is, that's my game. That's my bread and butter. So yeah. if I lose that, like I'm, it gets me, it gets me hot. So you've, you've completed the match. You've won the match and you meet at center court. Like it, do you have like a standard kind of a standard line or set of lines that you that you give and do you ever kind of have like any specific other like for that opponent words that you say or is it just kind of generic if i know the person like we're usually pretty friendly um if it's a tournament and i haven't i haven't met you i don't know you like it's it's pretty generic usually you know complimenting on a playing a good match um, hope to see you again. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you mean it though? That's what I've always wanted to know. Like, what is said, and then do you do you mean it, or are you just like, we just have to say it. It's like good game and little like good game, good. Game. I mean, honestly, my mind's already onto the next match. Um, it's it's just going through the motions. Like, wow. You know, that's not the sportsman sportsman like thing to say, but no. But see, I I actually. Sean, what I'm, I'm, hey, I'm loving hearing that you're, you're trying to, to, to break them. Both, you know, obviously, you know, you want to break their serve, but you want to kind of break them, get them, take them out of their game. But that because you're playing, like, to hear that you're playing, like, sometimes four or five matches in a day, I'm like, that's crazy. Is it best now? Are these best two out of three or are they best three out of five? No, no, they, they're best two out of three. And, most times the third set um, in lieu of an entire third set, you just play a tiebreaker. Um, okay. So, and, and the, the four or five matches in a day is usually like, usually only if you play multiple um, draws. So if you play singles and doubles or doubles okay. and mixed doubles, like that's how you're playing those long days. Um, mm-hmm. Usually don't like to do that just because it, really stretches you out especially mixed doubles like for whatever reason um most tournaments schedule those later so like i've had friends that have played mixed doubles and their match doesn't even go on till like 11 30 p.m if there's been like weather or things like that um so i'm like no i'll just stick to singles and doubles or just doubles at tournaments just because usually those are over earlier in the day what's your go-to kind of like how do you stay hydrated and nourished like do you like what kind of what's your go-to consumption like between matches it's i mean obviously it's texas it's real hot real humid yeah, yeah. It's, a lot of, it's a lot of water water's good um i drink hydration packs called element um which like those are my go-to i really love the raspberry salt flavor mm-hmm. um <laughs> it's gonna sound weird, but I drink a lot of pickle juice. Um huh. 
in like a pickle jar. Um, sometimes I'll just bring a pickle jar to tournaments. Um, oh. They also make and they sell it at the grocery stores where it's called like pickle shot. And it's just like a carbonated pickle juice um, that just like what? stops you from cramping. Um, oh, okay. I was going to ask, what is it about the pickle juice? There's just so much salt and electrolytes in there that it stops yeah. stops any cramping from happening. Um, nothing's worse. There have been multiple times that I've played tournaments in San Antonio and just drove there and drove back um, in, the, yeah. in, in the same day and just be driving down the highway and like my legs start to like seize up and I'm just like, this is the worst. Um, oh. Mostly I'm on cruise control and I'm not like pedal to the floor, but yeah. Um, I try to get ahead of the cramping with as much electrolytes as possible. Oh man, that, whew, that, yeah, just the idea of that cramping. I'm like, oh, oh man, pickle juice. That's good. That's, that's good to know. Um, are you a, speaking of pickle being in Texas, are you a, are you a, just a straight up dill pickle person? Are you a spicy pickle person? Um, like, it, do you have a go-to pickle? Depends on the situation. Uh, I do not discriminate against any pickle. Um, spicy pickles are great. Um, most of the time, it's just a regular dill pickle. Um, I also like I also like some sweet pickles as much as okay. that can be a polarizing issue. Maybe <laughs> more so than even pickleball being a sport. Um, but yeah, relish, sweet pickles regular dill pickles i'll eat them all your pickle diversity is is really strong man i <laughs> i can i just ask you i mean you're in austin mm-hmm. um what what makes a great breakfast taco now now you're really getting me to get some hot takes um yeah <laughs> the tortilla the tortilla mm. can make or break a good breakfast taco. Like, you know, the good places because they're making their, their own tortillas. Yeah. Um, generally with my breakfast tortillas, I like to go on flour. Um, okay. Lunch, dinner tortilla. Usually I'll go corn with that. Um, I, a really good Migas taco in the morning is good. Um, mm. bacon, bacon, egg and cheese. You can't go wrong with that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I personally, I tend to, I tend to stay away from avocado in the mornings. But that's just because, like, for whatever reason, my body, if I eat avocado in the morning, I get nauseous. Um, yeah, if I already eat that same taco for lunch, I'd be fine. Yeah, I, I had a similar issue with avocado in the morning, and so I had to stop. But yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, yeah I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what. A really good creamy jalapeno salsa on that taco is also where it's at. Okay, so this is all right. So I, I don't get down down to Austin much. No, I've invited I'm, you many times. And yeah, <laughs> I you know I I've I've got to get down, but there's a, a little slice of Austin Chewies. All right. Okay. So. First of all, I was going to ask if if you consider Chewy's to be legit Austin, you know, Mexican food, number one. But number two, their creamy, their jalapeno ranch is probably my favorite ranch in the world. 
But I would imagine if you start stacking it with other Austin taco joints, that it could end up being the equivalent of what Casey Masterpiece barbecue sauce is for Most us. Most of the time yeah. when I'm going to Chewy's, it's for like margaritas and queso and more just like your standard Tex-Mex fare. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not going there for breakfast tacos. Um, we'll, we'll go to some breakfast taco places when you come down. Um, yeah. Most of the time those are going to be food like trailers at coffee shops, things like that. Um, there are a couple really awesome breakfast taco joints that that's where I go for breakfast tacos. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, also, um, this is something that I don't know. I don't know why I haven't experienced it yet. What is it about Bucky's? What? It, it just seems like it's a phenomenon. And I, I'm like, I need to experience it. What makes Bucky's so unique? You can get anything. Like it's, it's just a magical place. Yeah. One, well, their employees are some of the happiest employees you will ever see. So they treat their employees really well. Um, I don't know why their bathrooms are like the cleanest places I've ever seen in the world. Um, oh, wow. Then you can go and you can get any kind of trail mix you want, barbecue, hunting gear, home decor. Um, you can fill up and get gasoline um, and wow. anything you could ever want with a beaver on it. So, I mean, what's what you just, what, I was going to say that what you've just described, it sounds pretty much that Bucky's might be heaven on earth, but that whatever you want, it almost sounds like whatever you need, if they if it's not at Bucky's, you probably don't need it. You really if it's don't. Not there. Yeah. Do you when you go into a Bucky's, how long do you normally stay in inside of a Bucky's? Because it also seems like a hard place to just get in and get out. Like you that you're gonna spend some time there. You it I mean it's it's an attraction. Like you <laughs> so you like Full transparency. Normally, when I stop at a Bucky's, first stop, I have to. Go, it's because I have to go to the bathroom. Um, but then, <laughs> like, then I'm gonna stop and get they. I'm gonna stop and get the combination dark chocolate covered and peanut butter covered pretzels. Mm. Uh, I get a drink. Um, I might get a brick a brisket taco, um, and then. Just look at all the ridiculous seasonal stuff that they've put the beaver on. Like you can get <laughs> board shorts, you can get bikinis, you can get onesies, um, probably a full Santa outfit with Bucky all over it. Like, you can literally get everything with that beaver on it. So yeah. what is the craziest thing that you and M have brought home with the Bucky's logo on it. Uh, definitely, I have a face mask that is Bucky's face. Um, that's probably the weird. <laughs> that's probably the weirdest thing. Um, 
I have friends that have Hawaiian shirts with Bucky on them. Um, yeah, you can literally get anything. It's. I'm going to have to make a trip down um, just to, well, not just to go to Bucky's, obviously, to see to see you in uh in M but I I need to, I need to go and just blow money inside of Bucky's and just come back with ridiculous amounts of of things. Yes. Um I, you y'all could definitely spend a ridiculous amount of time in there. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I could spend a couple of hours easily. In there. Yeah, e easily. Uh, especially if there's an opportunity to eat lunch. Yeah, you can get and food. And then resume shopping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. I got I want to switch gears a, a little bit. Um, uh, I guess real quick before I, I go into the other thing I wanted to ask you, I just, um, I think one of the things we share in common is that we enjoy professional wrestling. Yes. Um, and... I, what's going on in AEW all elite wrestling for those of you who do not watch professional wrestling it's been kind of bonkers like especially last week it seemed like jaw drops just what what is going on with what is going on with first with CM Punk and then what is going on in the locker room there it just seems like things are Things are going crazy. I don't I don't know. The locker room stuff uh, feels like there's new stuff coming out all the time. I don't really know. It's always with professional wrestling. It's always hard to tell what's part of the act and what's genuinely real. Yeah. Um, with CM Punk, I don't know. Like I was in my mind, I was like, CM Punk's winning this match. Like story. Oh, yeah. Was, it made perfect sense. Uh, he's back. Um, I mean, as I've been a CM Punk fan for years, was mm -hmm. stoked when he came back. Yeah. Over the mood when he won the championship. Yeah. Um, tore my heart out when he was injured. Oh, yeah. Came back. It was ready. Like, I don't know what happened there. Like, I don't know if he was still injured and it was just a way to get that interim tag off Moxley. Um, yeah. I don't know if this is all part of the show with all out being in Chicago this weekend, like does somehow that play into it? Like I, and, and what, what is this thing with, with hangman, Adam hangman page, he called him out. Uh, I I'm like, what is that about? I I'm just, Whatever it is, though, Sean, whether it's a work, whether it is like just legit, I, I got to tell you, I'm here for it because I when Moxley, you know, you know, squashed punk, I was just like, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. No, I, I mean, I was shocked. I mean, so I kind of figured because you would text me because I was about an hour, maybe hour and 15 minutes behind. And you had text me, and I'm like, "Huh, I wonder, I wonder something must have happened." <laughs> and that was just um, out of control. But I do feel like that where AEW, and I don't know if this is intentional or not intentional, 
but I feel like they're working it. It almost feels like what's going on with AEW feels like NBA free agency, like all the things that are kind of going on behind the scenes and who's talking to who and who's trying to get traded. And uh, cause I was talking to one of my other buddies and who also is a big AEW fan. And he's like, you know, people on, you know, the, you know, the wrestling community on Twitter is like, Oh, you know, Cody has left and, and now everything is falling apart. But we were like, if you're triple H and you're just watching the internet explode and still talking about what was happening, even when they're not on television mm-hmm. as the competitor, you don't want that. No, that's not good for your business. <laughs> um, because everyone is talking about, can you believe this? Can you like Eddie Kingston and Sammy getting into like, I'm like, it's, it's, it's great for AEW. I don't know. I, are you watching, are you going to watch the pay-per-view this yes. weekend? Let me go over and watch it with some friends. Which it'll be M's first time watching a full wrestling. Oh, oh, she's gonna. You know what? If if this, if she's gonna watch, if this is her first time watching a pay per view, I can't think of a better one. Yeah, for I'm just her so, to watch. so the she allows me to show her one YouTube video a week of whatever I want, <laughs> and I've kind of found her wheelhouse, um, which are. Which is either Orange Cassidy or Dan Housen. Ah, uh, like, that's have, who she will watch and like. So hopefully they have something to do with the show this weekend. I was gonna see, like, do you ever show her BTE um, on on YouTube? No, I, I I try to I try to stick with like <laughs> in ring at least like promos. Yeah. If I started showing her just like ridiculous other things, she. <laughs> It'd probably make me turn it off. Yeah. yeah, I I don't watch it with with uh, I don't watch it with anyone. I have to watch it by myself unless I'm with my buddy Jeff, um, and we watch because it, it it never fails. Like I think the last time they'd walked in, it was Darby and uh, um, uh, Brody King. Yeah, and that oh, was brutal. That yeah. coffin match. Yeah. Just like, oh my gosh, that was brutal. So I'm like, yeah, I kind of have to wait. So that's part. That's a big reason why I'm late on uh, on Dy- on Dynamite nights because I'm like, I don't, I don't want them seeing seeing any of this. But I gotta tell you, like, as gruesome as the coffin match was a couple weeks ago, it's got nothing on that first episode of House of the Dragon, man. On, uh, Ooh, that was a what rough. You... <laughs> oh, man. First of all, how how are you feeling about how are you feeling about um, this this spinoff right now? Uh, I am here for it. Um, as someone that I've read all the books, like all of George R. Anything Westeros, like I've read, um, mm. and so I am definitely here for this. Targaryen spinoff. Um, I am excited for all of the spinoffs that they're developing. Like, this is like my genre. Like, this is what I'm into. Yeah. Um, but 
This one, especially like when they announced that they were doing dan a spinoff based on the Dance of the Dragons, like, I mean, this is the best and the worst of Westeros. Like, the Targaryens are the family to do a spinoff on, um, and they're hitting mm -hmm. it at the juiciest time in Targaryen yeah. history. Yeah. So I feel like I I do need to go and and read the books because I these first two episodes. So I I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to say that I was one of those people after season eight of Game of Thrones. I was like, you know what? I'm glad it's over. I'm done. I and I when they when they announced the spinoff, I was like, we'll see. Yeah. You know, kind of. It was kind of like I felt like they'd broken my heart and I, I wasn't ready to open up my heart again. But boy, did they grab me in that first episode. Oh, pulled, and, and pulled, then, right yeah, yeah, pulled me right back in. And this second episode, and I, I, you know, I won't offer any spoilers, but at this point, it's guys, it's Monday that we're recording this on. If you haven't watched the episode by now, by the time that we, you know, post this go that's on you yeah yeah you need to go watch it and so for all of you out there who were who had your heart broken like a lot of us did to game of thrones all i can tell you is that you need you're, you're gonna need to get over it and and get get on that get that hbo max subscription going because i i am in love with this show already yeah. i mean i cannot wait I cannot wait for Sundays anymore. Like I, oh, like, so I'm actually, the the thing that I'm torn on on Sunday is it's all out. And, and I, and so, but I'm, you know, I'll, I'll be out of town, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get all out and just watch it on my computer. And then, yeah, you know, so it's going to be the perfect Sunday for us. Are you going to watch, um, are you going to watch the WWE um, premiere event on Saturday? No, I mean, it's, I feel like my focus has definitely shifted more so towards AEW. Like I still follow what's going on with WWE, but it's just, it's so, so hard with everything going on as their company right now. Yeah, fully and like to try to split that time. I'm like, no, like just storylines and everything going on in AEW are just just feel like they're better right now. Like I'll yeah. watch a big show, but not. I I I record the WWE stuff and I I go to Twitter to see if there's something that I absolutely have to see. Yeah. Um, but I, what I have found over the past I don't know a couple of years that they're just never really is something i have to see i'm not going to spend my time on saturday night watching, watching you can that. generally figure out what's going to happen like you know the route they're going to go whereas i feel like you never know where aew is going to go no. they had cm punk get squashed in three minutes <laughs> that was not on no one's bingo card man yeah that was just and just seeing the reactions later that night, all the folks on Twitter and, you know, just like, it was just like, I, 
And apparently there, but there's also a narrative that someone posted about, you know, CM Punk in Cleveland and that he's had some very monumental negative experiences (laughs) um, in Cleveland. So if, you know, if they're kind of playing out, that's kind of a long play kind of storyline. It'll be interesting to see. I'm interested to see what's, does he show up on, on Sunday? Is he, what, what happens with Ian Mott's? It's in Chicago. I feel like yeah. he still have a presence. Like, yeah, that's where all his greatest things have happened. Yeah. So that's so. I mean, he shocked the world in getting squashed. Is he going to shock the world again by yeah. winning? I guess we'll I have to tune in and see. We'll just have to see. Only got a few days for that to happen. So yeah. I can't let you get out of here, Sean. And I, I meant to ask you this question earlier, but I'll ask it now before we close. What is your hope for going back to tennis real quick? Like, what is your hope for the future of tennis? What would you like to see happen? I mean, ultimately, everything is about the growth of the game. Um, yeah. It has been, let's see, 19 years since we've had a American men's Grand Slam champion. Um, Andy Roddick at the 2003 U.S. Open was the last time that American male won the oh tournament. Um, wow. Just because after that, it was all Federer, Djokovic, Nadal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My... My ultimate hope is that one, I mean, we get a Grand Slam champion on the men's side again um, Mm -hmm. to go along with the consistently great women that we've made into Mm -hmm. champions here. Um, Yeah. And I think having that balance on the men's and women's will ultimately grow the game. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, other than that, just like I hope that the rest of the cut like texas is kind of unique with california and florida that there's a large amount of adult tournaments um the rest of the country doesn't have as much like there's a lot of league play but not as much tournament play um Mm -hmm. hopefully as more people play like we can get more adult tournaments throughout the country um yeah but yeah ultimately i think uh especially with the big three winding down. Um, Hopefully some of these young Americans can step up and win some grand slams on the men's side. That would be nice. And I think that could go a long way to growing the game. I think that could get, we might start getting more people playing tennis, Sean, instead of (laughs) pickleball or, but I, I, I now I'm going to Google paddle tennis because if it's a combination of, of pickleball, tennis, and racquetball, I'm here for it. I, I do need to ask: Are you you ever play handball? No, I've ne- that's one I've I've never never played handball. Because I would be curious to know if if a tennis player could just walk into a handball court and like after just a couple of games dominate i have not seen enough handball to know if i could go out there and dominate handball players 
I would love we what we need. I think what the world needs, Sean, is a paddle sport CrossFit, mm. kind of like where it's just random paddle. Like you know, you've got tennis players who now have to play handball. Handball players who are handed a racket and say, "Okay, go play tennis." Yeah, I don't know. I, I yeah, I think they have something similar mainly in Europe where you play a little bit of each. Um, but I don't know the name of it, but yeah. I believe they do have something like that. I just don't think it's popular over here because you don't play enough of the things you kind of yeah. kind of compartmentalize in one sport. But yeah, Sean, this has been fun, man. Thanks yeah. for, uh, thanks for the time. The next time we have a random conversation like this, it's going to be over brisket tacos and, um, and beer. I sure. I absolutely love that idea. You need to get down here. <laughs> <laughs>